Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. To seek you, you have found us because you're seeking worshipers. And now as the words open, as we walk through this parade and seeing you come face to face with Zacchaeus, we long for you to do the same with us. Emerge, Jesus from the pages of scripture and meet us, speak to us. We're not looking for advice, we're looking for life and you are the life. We love you, we thank you, pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, have a seat everybody. And I would encourage you uh, to open Bibles if you have them to um, Luke 19. It's page 1052 in the Pew Bible, so if you could grab it there, I would love that. I don't have a lot of um, presentation slides. We're going to go the way Jesus did and use the word as our presentation this morning, right? So um, Luke 19, I'm Gary, by the way, I've been worshiping in this community for 23 years now, and um, it has been a a blessing. What we're talking about this summer is face-to-face, and we're looking at Jesus coming face-to-face with people. God loves the world, but God came to earth Uh, to not just minister to the crowds, but to get face-to-face with people. And in getting face-to-face with Jesus, it changes everything. So we've been eavesdropping on some of those encounters this summer. The goal is that we would be inspired to leave this church building uh, and get face-to-face with others as well, who think they have no right to come into the church building or to be with Jesus, which is a lie, right? Jesus loves everyone. So we've seen Jesus come face-to-face with powerful people and powerless people. Men, women, Jews, Gentiles, and we are learning so much about Jesus. And today he comes face to face with a rich tree dweller, a rich tree uh, tree dweller. So let's just jump in to the parade. Are your Bibles open, Luke 19? Yeah? Okay, Luke 19, page 1052 in the Pew Bibles. Let's go. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. By the way, the time of this, Jesus knows, they don't know, he's 10 days away from his death. If you had 10 days left to change the world, to start a spiritual revolution, what would be occupying your mind? What would you be doing with it, right? Uh, He's got 10 days left. He's going through Jericho, uh, up the southern route, on his way into Jerusalem to die. A man was there. We're going to meet three characters. Here's the first. By the name of what, church? Zacchaeus. What do we learn about him? He's a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. This is important. Uh, the author of this biography, his name is Luke, and he intentionally puts stories uh, in their order. Right before this story in Luke 18, Jesus came face to face with uh, a rich young ruler who was a moralist. He was a religious guy who felt like he was a hypocrite too. He said, I kept all the law. He says, what must I do to get saved? I kept all the law. And Jesus looked at him and said, okay, let's go to your functional savior. It was his wealth. And he said, give it all away. I'm a much better savior than your wealth. And then the man couldn't do it. And Jesus said, how hard, Luke 18, 25 to 26, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Didn't say it's impossible as we'll see today, but he said it's hard. I bring this up because according to world standards, we are the wealthy. We are the wealthy. It's not impossible. And so uh, Luke has that story in Luke 18. And then we go to Luke 19 where Jesus runs again into a rich guy. Okay? Important we get the context. Let's meet Zacchaeus. He's well known, but he's not well liked. He's very rich, but he's not very generous. 
He's hated by people. He's not known by people. He isn't just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. Maybe overseeing all of Israel. We don't know. There are major regions of tax collecting. Uh, Jericho was one. It was a city of about 30,000 people in its day, and that's a big city in Jesus' day. Caesarea was another one. There was one far in the north in the rural area. So we don't know if he oversaw all of Israel or just the region, Uh, but he was an employee of an oppressive, conquering, imperial Roman government. The Jews were all living in occupied territory. Rome was occupying Israel to control them. They would hire Jewish people to uh, collect their exorbitant taxes. It wasn't a just tax system. It was exorbitant. And then these Jewish people, they gave them the right and the Roman government behind them by way of soldiers to extort above and beyond the exorbitant taxes and keep it for themselves. That's why they were hated. These tax collectors were universally hated. We'll see that in a minute. And what was Zacchaeus? He was the chief operating officer of these sellouts. He had betrayed his nation. He had betrayed his God. He had betrayed his family. If you want some idea of what the people thought of him, look at verse 7, everybody, in your Bibles. Look at verse 7. Look what it says. All the people saw this and began to mutter. No one in the crowd liked him, right? Uh, One commentator brought this out. I thought it was interesting. It says the Jew who was a tax collector was in the same position as the French who cooperated with the Nazis when they took over France in World War II. The French collaborators worked with the Nazis to subjugate the rest of the people, and they were despised as traitors. That was Zacchaeus. Anyone who became a tax collector, their highest ideal was money. And Zacchaeus said, I want to become rich, and I I care more about riches than even my love, uh, love of people, even love of my family, community, relationships. He didn't care about any of that. His functional savior was money, was wealth, was getting rich. Character number one, not a nice guy, okay? Character number two, he wanted to see who, here comes the second character, Jesus was, okay? Now note, he didn't want to see Jesus. This wasn't about like a famous crowd sighting. He wanted to know uh, and see what was Jesus about? What is this thing I've heard about for three years? Who is this man? But because he was short, he could not see over what? Our third characters in the story, the crowd. Now we have the story built out, a parade. You've got Zacchaeus, evil, sellout, Uh, No one likes him. You have Jesus on parade, marching to his death, going through Jericho. You have the crowd, the religious people, the good people, quote-unquote, according to their own opinion. And note this. We'll get to this in a minute. It was the crowd which kept Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And I'm bringing that up, and we're going to come back to it because, my friends, look around. I I know not everyone here identifies as a follower of Christ, but we are the crowd in the story. Uh, and I don't say that to um, make you feel bad. I'm not here to make you feel bad, but I, I want you, I felt such conviction reading this, asking the Lord, what is it in my priorities, in my, my management and stewardship of resources, in my time, that keeps the crowd from seeing, I'm sorry, it keeps the tree dwellers from seeing you? Jesus, how am I blocking people from seeing you. 
He couldn't because of the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Completely abandoned his pride. This is a, a hungry man for something that money couldn't satisfy. He gave his whole life to this thing, and it was falling short. And, and so to run in that day as a grown man, you'd have to pull up your tunic and run. Completely inappropriate to climb a tree. I mean, even today, what would you think if you came and I was hanging off the monkey tree? Hey, welcome to church, everybody. You'd go, what in the world has happened to him, right? Zacchaeus didn't care. And I would just say for the Zacchaeuses in the room, first of all, thank you for coming, for taking a risk to join this community. And uh, I want to say to come to Christ, oftentimes you're going to have to get beyond the crowd. You have to get beyond what the crowd thinks of you following Christ. So important. So let's get back to the crowd. Uh, what is it about us that's keeping people from discovering Jesus? So 15 years ago, I um, and a group of us pastors really had a revelation. What would happen to our city if PCC was off the map? Uh, we were actually at a prayer meeting up near Edgewood Park overlooking the city, and the Holy Spirit convicted us, and we realized 15 years ago, wow, if PCC ceased to exist within a few months, the city would pretty much move on. They'd, people would find a different church. People would find a different health club. People would find a place to put their kids after school. People would find a different preschool. What we realize is we are spending so much energy on ourselves, we have forgotten to fully embrace the city that God's placed us in. That started me on a quest to knock on doors with principals, civic officials, police chief, fire chief, things like that. And it was eye-opening 15 years ago. The mayor of our city wouldn't even meet with me in the city. He only agreed to meet with me in Menlo Park in the back room of a restaurant because he didn't want to be seen with a pastor. Uh, by the way, um, three months ago, I met with the mayor again openly in uh, Roosevelt Plaza. God has worked in incredible ways. But the city manager agreed to meet with me, and as we were meeting down at Pete's, uh, my question opening with city managers, civic officials, school principals is this. How can we serve this city? What are some needs you see that we can serve our, our city well? This city manager, after I asked that question, gave me five minutes of expletive-filled, it wasn't even conversation, it was just, it's like, it's like he roared at me on why he didn't want anything to do with Christians or the church. His reasoning went something like this. If Christianity is true, there's no way it could produce people like you guys. But it seems like it's producing people like you guys. Therefore, Christianity can't be true. In our discussion when he was finished, I apologized. I identified with his pain but I encouraged him to get beyond the self-righteousness that he saw, the hypocrisy that he saw, the inconsistency he saw in so many uh, professing Christians. I encouraged him to do what Zacchaeus did. I didn't use that vernacular, but focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. That's what Zacchaeus did. He found a vantage point by which he could get past the crowd and see Jesus directly. Now I wanna pause again and ask this question. As you think about your neighborhood or where you work, and frankly, that's the place that these face-to-face -face encounters need to happen. In our post-Christian culture, uh, people aren't flocking to the church. So we are gonna do what Jesus did. We call it Emmanuelism, God come to flesh in earth. We're gonna go to them. 
where you work, where these encounters face-to-face need to happen, ask yourself again, what is it that's getting in the way in your behavior, in your work ethic, in your character, in your priorities of people uh, who desperately need to see Jesus? Don't condemn yourself if you're a follower of Christ. There's no condemnation. Can I get an amen for those who are in Christ Jesus? But conviction's good. That's why we gather like this. Okay, we have the characters built out. That's what the, the people saw in this parade. The question is, what did Jesus see? I told you how evil tax collectors were. This is actually the sixth time in the gospel, this biography called Luke, that Jesus encounters a tax collector. And every encounter is positive. Jesus saw something that people didn't, not because he loves evil. He's the most human human, never tainted by sin, the holiest person who's ever lived. But he saw people as they were meant to be, and his grace collides with their brokenness, and it made a difference in every tax collector Jesus encountered. And he initiates graciously and positively like he does here. Let's pick it up in verse 5. When Jesus reached, what's the next word? Two words. When Jesus reached... When Jesus reached, circle that because that's important. What is the spot? It's the place where human brokenness and God's grace collide. Where Jesus becomes real and lives are changed. That's the spot. Spots happen all over the city because of people like you. They happen up at Kenyatta College. They happen at cafes. They happen in Edgewood Park on runs where human brokenness and the gospel and God's grace collides and lives are changed, right? Did you have a spot? I certainly did. It was a Halloween night at a fraternity party when I was a freshman in college. And God's grace met my sin. And for whatever reason, God's grace won out. I was a transformed person. Not because I tried harder, but I trusted Jesus at that moment. And I left that party a changed person. It was my spot. Where was your spot? Where was it where God's grace collided with you? And Jesus became real. The revelation happened. You're like, oh my gosh, that grace is too good to pass up. It is a better savior. And Zacchaeus says, point of view in his vernacular. He's saying, your grace and your power is a better savior than my money. We're going to see that in a minute. Yeah, I've been here 23 years, and I got to be honest with you, as I drive around, uh, this city becomes a spiritual Gettysburg for me, where there's monuments of grace all over the city, where I can drive around by a Starbucks and go, I remember that was the spot where Tom trusted Christ. I could run in Edgewood Park and go, wow, that was the spot when my running partner trusted Christ. Or that was the spot when my running partner asked me to baptize his kid, and it opened up a conversation. Uh, I can go by a sidewalk in our neighborhood and go, that was the spot where my wife ministered to that woman, and she, in her words, this woman, it was a stroller stopper in her life, and she's a changed woman. There are spots on Woodside High's campus because Danny is not only one of our pastors, he is a coach of the Woodside football team. In the Woodside High School football field, there's spots happening all over it. He sent me a picture in his backyard with a party he threw uh, for the team where uh, tons of people who would never set foot in here but trust their coach would come. And his desires at that pool become a spot, right? God wants to create spots, and he wants to use us to do it. Not just pastors, but actually more so normal people like you. My job is to equip you to see spots. 
to jump into spots. Does anyone get excited about that? Am I the only one? I'm sweating here because I'm getting excited. But come on, man. We all have spots, right? I can go on and on. But he reached a spot. What did Jesus do? He looked up and he said to him, hey, you wretched sinner. Is that what he said? No, no. Our condemnation doesn't lead anyone to Christ. I, I told you, I have spots all over the city. Not one person said to me, wow, when you judged me, I felt so good. I wanted to embrace your Savior, right? <laughs> Look what he says. Everyone else called him, we'll see in a minute, a sinner. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus. How do you know his name? Jesus knew Zacchaeus in the womb. He knew Zacchaeus would be called Zacchaeus. Jesus was intentionally, he had to go through Jericho. He must have gone through Jericho for this very moment. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and he welcomed him, what church? Gladly. Why did he do that? Because in Luke 2, in Luke's biography, an angel announced to Mary, when this person comes into the world, his message will be good news that causes what? Great joy for who? All people. And now we are 19th chapter seeing that, even for this political, moral, evil sellout. This is good news. He's like, what? You want to stay with me? And he comes down and says, I have so much, the word's joy. I have so much joy. I can't believe it. See, a key aspect of ministering to tree dwellers, drop the labels. The crowd called him a sinner, and he was. But drop the labels and see people as they really are. Image bearers of God. In ancient cultures, uh, your name was your identity. Hebrews didn't name people randomly like we do. What are the top 10 coolest names out there? Uh, we didn't do that. Not that you do that, but uh, that happens, right? Uh, I studied my name. You know what my name means, Gary? It means mighty with a sword. <laughs> True story. And for 18 years, I lived void of that identity that my parents placed on me. They had no idea that was what it meant, but God did. You know what Zacchaeus means? Pure, innocent. And the crowd is placing false labels. I call them lie identities on Zacchaeus. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I can't believe Jesus is going to, to eat with that sinner. He actually spent the night with a sinner. Jesus sees through the labels and says, no, 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 no. I had you named Zacchaeus for a reason. And the whole reason I came to earth is to recapture my identity for you. Sin has broken you and you're finding your identity and your wealth. And look at the havoc you've wreaked. No one wants to be with you, but I do because I've come to seek and save what has been lost. What was lost? His identity. He forgot who he was, who he was created to be. And Jesus, 10 days from his death, says, I gotta go through Jericho because there's one person there that's gonna be the linchpin. And when I pull it, it's gonna be like a gospel. This is, just came to me. It's gonna be like a gospel grenade that goes off and changes the culture. We'll see that at the end of it. I need you to know there are tree dwellers all around us. You live next to them. They're in this room. And I don't mean to talk about you in the third person or second person uh, as if you're separate from us. We love you. But I'm asking us as a church, do we see them? Are we open to that? Or do we just label them? 
See, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus. I, I, I think he didn't believe he was worthy of a dinner with Jesus. And he wasn't. But Jesus invited Zacchaeus. Because Jesus says, your worth, your behavior, that's actually why I came. Your sin doesn't put me off. I actually run to it. Because I came to fix that. I created you to be in relationship with me. Friends, what's keeping you from becoming face-to-face with tree dwellers? What's keeping you from putting up with uh, some offensive behavior and maybe offensive language and offensive habits? Come on, do we really believe Jesus changes lives? How's it going to happen if we don't invite some tree dwellers to our tables, look them in the eyes, treat them as image bearers of God? That's what drives our mission. And that's why I knocked on principal doors civic official door because we believe in this post-Christian culture, good deeds creates goodwill and allows us to share the good news. It gets us face-to-face with people because of what you're doing. So uh, not everyone was happy about this exchange. The story started in a tree, but it doesn't end there. Our lives are never meant to be lived as tree dwellers in isolation. Uh, They weren't meant to be lived just in a spot. Uh, Our lives were meant to be lived metaphorically at tables where where there's communion and interaction and relationship happening. Trees, spots, tables. Trees, spots, tables. It's the normal progression of the Christian life. Look what it says. All the people saw this, again, all, this exchange, and they began to what? You know what an onomatopoeia is? I'm teaching English here. An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds what it means. In the Greek language, the word mutter is a Greek onomatopoeia. Greek was the language of the New Testament. It means, uh, the the original language is goguzmo. Goguzmo, goguzmo. Sounds like muttering, doesn't it? Goguzmo. (laughs) They didn't have the courage to talk directly to Jesus, so it's easier to talk around Jesus. They have the courage to talk to Zacchaeus. God forbid that grace would win the day for religious people. So they talk around him. You know what they did? I'll tell you what they did. They got on their Twitter and on their Facebook accounts. They got on their uh, Instagram, took a picture, eating with sinners. You call him a savior. Happens all the time still today. Too much muttering going on on social media, my friends. Bashing the church. Bashing Christians. Bashing each other because we don't believe in each other's ideologies or whatever. God forbid we get face-to-face, especially in a summer during a face-to-face series. Why not just go on social media? It's a lot easier, but a lot more cowardly. I don't mean that to condemn. There's a lot of pain happening in this church, and we're actually trying to prepare the church. We're on an 18, 19-month march towards the 2020 elections to prepare you how to live kingdom in this democracy and how we can be civil and hold the political ideologies and still function. That's what the church should do. This is the only place where it should happen. Amen? Okay. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. Let's pick it up in verse 8. But Zacchaeus, no, between 7 and 8, uh, just put, um, I don't know, put a marker because uh, Luke truncates time. This didn't happen right after. There was, there was a period of time. Jesus went to have a meal, and the way the language is, he probably spent the night with him. Uh, And so verse 8, there's a period of time that Luke says, I don't got time for that, so he just puts it together. Zacchaeus stood up and said, 
Look, Lord, uh, the original language is beautiful. There's emotion behind it, and it's almost a sense of, look, Dad, of a child proud and wanting his parent to see. He is a changed man after this encounter. Uh, having five daughters, I saw this all the time growing up. I still see it with my 10-year-old. Look, Dad, look, watch me dance. Look, Dad, listen to me sing. That's the heart of Zacchaeus here. He's not childlike. Uh, he is childlike. He's not being childish in his mentality. The love of Christ had so invaded his life, it's, he's different. He doesn't say to Jesus in that look, Dad, because you love me, I want to change. Uh, he's saying, uh, because I change, I'm sorry, let me, let me just back up. He doesn't say to Jesus, uh, you love me, okay. He doesn't say to Jesus, I will change so you will love me. He says to Jesus, you've loved me, I want you to see the change. How has Jesus cha changed you through that spot encounter and moving forward. What is different in your life that's only supernatural? The love of Christ is not the basis for life change, my friends. The love of Christ is the dynamic of life change. Do you know the difference? It's not just the basis, it's the dynamic. As you dwell on the love of Christ, you will be changed. How has he changed? Look what he says. Here and now I give half my possession to the poor. That was his savior. That was his identity. He built everything. It was his greatest thing. He sold out everything for his wealth. And, and immediately it's like half of what I own goes away. And if I've cheated out anything, anybody of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus never walked taller than in that moment. He doesn't need his money anymore. It doesn't fulfill him like it used to. In other words, money is no longer his identity. It's no longer his sense and self-worth. Jesus' great grace broke the grip of money. So it, money could have its intended purpose in Zacchaeus and its intended purpose in us. To be stewarded and deployed for the glory of God and for the good of people. That's why God gives us money. To steward it and deploy it. But Zacchaeus before hoarded it to make himself feel better. It was his savior. The minute Zacchaeus realized Jesus Christ was showing grace, that this moral crowd and he knew nothing about, joy overtook him and it changed his life. Here's what's cool about the gospel. Uh, Jesus doesn't just um, save people or forgive people. He transforms them. He's a new man. Look what it says, and this is the premise of actually our whole series, Face to Face. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's on page 3 of your notes. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Do you remember if you had this experience holding a newborn for the first time? And just looking at their eyes and looking at their nose, looking at their ear, looking at their chin and just going, it's so new. It's so new. The offer on the table for all of you crowd, us crowd, and all the tree dwellers here, Jesus promises to transform you into a new person with a new operating system that produces new desires in you and new actions on the outside. You have a new power source to draw from you have a new Lord, you're following Jesus, not just for advice, but for how to live. You're under a new authority, the word of God. You have new ambitions, you function with new ethics. 
You have a new family. This is it. This is a new family. And you have a new eternal destiny. Is anyone glad to be made new in Christ? Can anyone just testify to that? Amen. One of the key signs you've been saved, though, is that you not only received God's grace, but you extended. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing here. He's not just the end game of God's grace. He's the means for others of God's grace. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Uh, I, what I did in my Bible in verse 9 is circled salvation. I shot a line up to verse 5, and I circled the word I. So in verse 5, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, verse 5. Verse 9, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. In other words, Jesus is salvation. You don't get that in any other religious system. Buddha never said he was salvation, and I'm not putting down other religious systems. I'm just differentiating here. Muhammad didn't say he was salvation, but Jesus walked the earth, died and rose again, and the claim was, I can change your life because through me, I'm a salvation. I am salvation. Friends, the only way Zacchaeus could come down from that tree and be changed is because in 10 days, Jesus would climb a tree and get crucified. The only reason Zacchaeus was a new man and a new person in Christ going from despised and rejected was because in 10 days, Jesus would go outside the city and be spit upon and scorned, despised, and rejected. See, if you see that, it changes everything about you, especially your attitude towards whatever your functional savior is. Jesus came to replace his life with yours. And if you're a tree dweller, I would just say what Jesus wants from you, more than church attendance, more than your morality, he wants your brokenness. That's the greatest offering you can give to him, your sin, your blow, it's your life of rebellion apart from him. He says, that's why I went to a tree. I will make you new. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Well, that's where the story ends. No, the story actually ends in verse 10. The son of man came to seek and save, I'm gonna give you the original Greek, that seek and save that which was lost. Not just lost people, but lost things. In my life, so much has been lost over time. And since coming to Christ, I've given him those lost things. There was time our finances were lost. We were in consumer debt. We said, God, we've made a mess of this. God said, great, give it to me. And over time, through guidance and sound financial principles, God corrected our financial mismanagement. There's times there was distance in our relationship with each other, with friends, uh, with our daughters in some ways, and we just continue offering Jesus lost things and saying, Jesus, do it. And he's an amazing savior that way. I gotta wrap up here. What happens to Zacchaeus? This is where the biblical text ends, but church history kicks in. You know what happened to Zacchaeus? Church history records he went on to become the bishop of Caesarea just outside of Jerusalem, quite possibly appointed by Peter himself. He changed from going from a thief to a pastor. That's the gospel, my friends. So what do I want us to do? I want us to see tree dwellers. As followers of Christ, I want us to get out of the way as the crowd. I don't want us to be judging outside this church. I want us to see people like Jesus says, drop the labels. And let Jesus meet people face to face. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Oh, gosh. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope of being made new. As we come face to face at this communion table next, guide us and meet us here. Lord, as a religious community, uh, we confess, we have, I, we have been in the way and we have obscured people's view of you. Thank you for grace and forgiveness. But let us live in the conviction to have people meet you face to face. And for our tree dwellers, I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage to focus on you and say, yes, Jesus, yes. Turning from myself to you. I'm dropping my functional saviors because you're a way better savior. And then, Lord, for whatever in our life is lost, it could be our finances, it could be a relationship, it could be whatever, a habit. We offer you what's lost. You came to seek and to save, to rescue what is lost. So I don't know what that is for you, but offer that to the Lord right now. It could be your life. I'm coming to you, Christ. I'm lost. We love you, Jesus. We want to stay face to face with you. Thank you for grace and power and love. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.